Hi, welcome to Pitt Town Church. We are so glad that you're listening to this podcast. We pray that this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus. If you would like more information, check out our website at www.pitttownchurch.com. Good evening, church. Thankfully, it's the one I've been practicing. Um, It's Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 to 16. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a protection for you. Watch out for dogs. Watch out for evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcisions, the one who serve by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I once also had confidence in the flesh too, If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself to be taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue my goal as the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, all who are mature should think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Well, hello again. Let's uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come now to your word, as Shane has already reminded us, as we've had it read and as we look at it, Now, we ask that you would remind us that it is from you. These are your words to us. And Father, we pray that you would help us to understand what they mean, understand what you've said, and Father, help us to see the world the way that you see it. And Father, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. The other day, I lost my phone and it was awful. It was awful because I lost my phone and I don't use my phone that much as a phone, but I use it pretty much for everything else. Uh, it is my calendar. It's my diary. It is where I write down all my thoughts and notes. It's where I have my list of things I need to do and remember. I have almost 500 open Safari tabs on my phone. Um, If they go, I'll never get them back. 
But it was awful because I lost my phone, but it was awful because I lost something, anything. I hate losing anything. I hate losing my keys. I hate losing my wallet. I hate losing an important form that I need to fill out. I hate losing a bit of paper with an important thing scrawled on it. I hate losing a book. I hate losing anything. I hate that feeling of knowing that I have it, but knowing that I can't find it and I don't know where it is. I hate it. I hate it's it's frustrating. I hate the feeling of powerlessness. I hate that feeling of just looking everywhere and not knowing where it is. It drives me mental. I should say, I did find my phone. Good news. It was down the side of the car. But when I, while it was lost, it was infuriating. But you know what I reckon is one of the worst things to lose? Maybe not the worst, but one of the worst. I think one of the worst things that you can lose is your motivation. You know, I used to go to the shops and I would get really annoyed at the counter help for not being super enthusiastic about helping me and not being, you know, joyous and energetic to serve me and, and the things that I was after. And I would find it very annoying that it just felt like they would just go through the motions and they didn't really care. And it used to annoy me. And then I worked in retail full time and I was like, oh no, I get it. I get it. And now I don't mind. If I walk into a shop and the person is not that enthusiastic, I don't, I, I'm totally okay with it because I'm like, yeah, you don't have to pretend to like this. You don't have to pretend that this is like your favorite thing and you're so enthusiastic about it. I'm fine for you just to do the bare minimum and just get it done. Like I know, I know what you're going through, you know, I feel like it's fine, but Working minimum wage, dealing with idiot customers and working for a doofus manager is one thing. But what about when you know that you're supposed to seek first the kingdom? What about when you know that you're supposed to live your life for Jesus and live it to the full? What about when you know all those things? That's not the problem, but you just don't feel motivated. You feel like you're just sort of scraping by doing the bare minimum. What then? What about when it just feels like you're barely surviving, you know, like you're just holding on by the edge, you know, just grasping on and you just don't feel like you've got it all living for Jesus and powering on and on fire for him. What do you do when you feel like you've lost your motivation to seek first the kingdom and live your life for Jesus. What then? How do you turn that around? How do you find the motivation to live like that? Well, today from Philippians chapter three, I want us to see four things, four steps, four principles that Paul outlines as he talks about his own life and that he explicitly outlines for us to imitate as we stand firm for Jesus and press on for him and run the race for him. And so this is week three in our vision series. Week one, we looked at treasuring Christ with perspective. Remember that? What does it matter? So long as Christ is preached and in that I rejoice. Week one. 
Week two, last week, we looked at treasuring Christ in humble service. And today, we're in Philippians chapter three, as Paul's going to break down, outline for us, how does treasuring Christ help us be motivated to then live for him? So uh, Philippians chapter three, if you still have that open, that's the place where you need to be. As we look at these four steps, four principles. Step number one is that Paul wants to warn us, he wants to warn us that there is no future in the past. So check out verse two. He says, watch out for dogs, watch out for evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Let's just pause there for a second. One of the things that you need to know is that at this time, back in Paul's time, there were a bunch of people who were going around teaching, telling, insisting that in order to follow Jesus, in order to be right with God, what you needed to do was you needed to first be Jewish and then you could be a Christian. And they were traveling around saying that you needed to keep the old Jewish law. And for the men in particular, that meant circumcision. Because as you might No, in ancient Israel, for the men, the external sign that you were a part of God's people was circumcision. And the sign really mattered. It was very important right up until Jesus arrived. And Jesus arrived on the scene and he lived that perfect life, fulfilled the Old Testament law, all that Levitical law, And now it meant that those laws were no longer what was required. But there was this bunch of false teachers and they would travel around and they would say, yes, of course you need to put your trust in Jesus. Yes, of course Jesus needs to be your king. Yes, of course Jesus is the Messiah. And what that means in order to trust him as your king, you first need to become Jewish. You need to keep the Old Testament law. And in particular, you need to be circumcised so that you can check off all the things that you need to do and so that you can feel confident in your faith. And Paul wants to firmly and fiercely say, no, no, that's not the way that it works. Jesus has done it all. And going back to the religious checklist will actually take you away from Jesus. There is no future in the past. And you can see how how, how passionate he is as he talks about it. Verse 2 again, he says, watch out for dogs, watch out for evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh For we are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. In other words, now the sign that you're in a relationship with God, the sign that you are one of his people is not the external sign of circumcision. Now the marker is serving by the Spirit. It's boasting, having confidence in Jesus and not confidence in the flesh, not confidence in the religious checklist. It's not about 
doing the right external things. And if there was anyone who did the right external things, it was Paul. Check out verse four. He says, although I once also had confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. You see, if anyone had a religious, you know, pedigree of achievement, it was Paul. If there was ever anyone who could look at the things that they had done for God and feel confident, it was Paul. But listen carefully to Paul's assessment of all those amazing things that he had done and that he was. Listen to how he assesses it all. Verse 7. He says, but everything, all that stuff that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ. This is step Two, step two is Jesus transforms your treasure. Remember, most of the things that Paul had done, who he was, where he came from, these were all good things. Yes, I mean, sure, he got a bit carried away with the zeal, persecuted the church. That's not great, but, but he did it. What he was doing he, is he was protecting God's honor. But apart from persecuting the church, everything else was an impressive list of the way that God wanted it to be. And Paul looks at that amazing pedigree. He looks at his impressive spiritual resume, all those great things that he had done and he was for God, and all that stuff that he would have listed in the spiritual prophet column This is the conclusion that he draws. Verse 7, again, he says, But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. And then in verse 8, he goes even further. He says, More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowing him. Knowing, not just knowing about Jesus, but knowing him, actually being in relationship to him was of surpassing value. Jesus is a treasure of such worth that in comparison, everything else is considered a loss. Jesus is a treasure that transforms your treasure. Compared to Jesus, everything else is a loss. And is that something that you could say? In the next half of verse 8, Paul goes even further. He says, because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ. All the great 
spiritual things that Paul had done for God that he outlines in verses four to six, he now considers loss, he considers it filth. But it's more than that. It's more than just those things. It's all things, everything, anything that was an advantage and a treasure, everything is now a loss. He considers it filth. Whatever was a treasure has been transformed into junk compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. Jesus is a treasure that transforms your treasure into junk, garbage, filth, sewerage. It's all garbage compared to gaining Christ. And is that something that you could say? What is it that's valuable to you? What is it that you treasure? What is it that you are afraid of losing? Maybe, maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's respect from other people. Maybe it's that people listen to you. Maybe it's that people are impressed by you. Maybe it's that people, you know, it's what they think about you, that they think you're a nice person, that they think you're a good person. Maybe it's the freedom to not really have to worry about money that much. Maybe it's the security of employment and having a job. Maybe it's the security of owning your own home. Maybe it's the joy of being part of a harmonious family. What is it? that's valuable to you? What is it that you treasure? What is it that you're afraid of losing? Because Paul wants to say, Jesus is more valuable than everything that you're afraid of losing. And do you think that's true? Back in chapter one, Paul said, you might remember this from verse 20, he said that his eager expectation and hope is that he will not be ashamed, but that in all things, both now and always, with all boldness, that Christ will be highly honoured in his body, whether by life or by death. And the word for highly honoured is the word to magnify. And what does it mean that Jesus would be magnified in your life? Well, you can magnify things in two different ways. One way is that you can magnify something with a magnifying glass, you know, like Sherlock Holmes looking for clues, you know, like, like a microscope. You have things that are teeny weeny tiny and you want to make them seem bigger than they actually are so that people can see them clearer. That's one way to magnify something. But the other way that you can magnify something is with a telescope, like the James Webb telescope that they shot up into space and it's looking out at black holes and stars and planets and things we've never seen before or not seen like this, not that clear. And it's magnifying them. These massive, so far away, these giant stars, enormous, unfathomably massive. But to us, they appear teeny weeny tiny. 
and the telescope magnifies them to help us to see them more like they really are. They're ginormous. And so the way that you magnify Jesus, Jesus is the biggest, most valuable thing in the universe. He is unfathomably impressive. But people around us, they think he's teeny-weeny tiny. They think he's irrelevant. They think he's small. They think he's boring. They think he's peripheral. And when Jesus is highly honoured, when Jesus is magnified, we help people to see him more clearly for who he really is and what he's really like. He seems small because he seems so far away from them. And like a telescope, we magnify him to help people see him more clearly. And when we value other things like everybody else values them in the same way that they value them to the same extent that they value them, then Jesus does not appear valuable. But it's when we can give that up and walk away from that and not have that and lose that because we value Jesus more than those things, well, then Jesus is honoured. Then Jesus is magnified. Then people see him as valuable like he really is. And Paul wants to say, Jesus is more valuable than everything that you're afraid of losing. And if Jesus does not transform your treasure, then Jesus is not what you treasure. That's just the way that it is. And then verse 10 is really the heart of it for Paul. He mentions this in verse 8. He comes back to it in verse 10. He says, my goal, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Paul was absolutely dead set focused on living for Jesus. And he wants to be united to him in his suffering, united to him in his death, united to him in his resurrection. And everything that he had ever done, every great thing he'd ever done for God, every impressive thing that he'd ever achieved, everything he'd ever valued, he considered loss. It's garbage. I've chucked it in the bin. I've flushed it away. And the only thing I'm trusting in, the only thing I'm boasting in, the only thing I'm valuing is Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. That's what Paul says. Which brings us to step three. Step one was there is no future in the past. Step two was Jesus is a treasure that transforms your treasure. And then step three is the most important thing has already happened to you. See verse 12. Paul says, not that I've already reached the goal or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because... I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. 
if you have put your faith in Jesus, if Jesus is your king, then Jesus has taken hold of you. And much more important than you striving to know Jesus, much more important than you reaching out for Jesus, much more important than you taking hold of Jesus, much more important is that Jesus has taken hold of you. But still, notice, even though the most important thing is that Jesus has taken hold of you, that doesn't mean that there's now nothing for you to do. Because sometimes we think we're saved by grace, right? We're saved by faith. It's a gift. The day that we put our trust in Jesus, the day that our eternity changed forever, the day that our sins were forgiven was the day we got our ticket to heaven. And so long as we've got that ticket, then we can do and be whoever we want. So long as we got the ticket, then we're in. But Paul says, no, the day you put your trust in Jesus was not the end of the journey. It was just the beginning. And there's a step four. And step four is make every effort. If Jesus really is your treasure, if Jesus is, if he has really reached out and taken hold of you, then that's just the beginning of the journey. None of us have arrived. The way that we put it around here is each one of us has a next step. Verse 12, he says, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Would you say that you make every effort to be found mature in Christ? Or would it be more accurate to say that from time to time, I make a bit of effort? Would it be more accurate to say every now and then, when it suits me, I make an effort? Would it be more accurate to say, when I've got nothing else on and no other competing arrangements, then I make some effort. As Paul says, I make every effort to be found mature in Christ, to know him. Verse 13, he says, brothers, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, all who are mature should think this way. Imagine driving your car, but you only ever looked in the rear view mirror. You never looked out the front. You drove the whole way just looking in the rear view. Just imagine that. Imagine it would be, there'd be a good chance that you would end up on the wrong path. There would be a good chance that on the way you would cause a lot of hurt and harm to a lot of people. There's a good chance that you might not actually end up where you want to go. Yes, 
Looking in the rear view is good from time to time, but that's not designed for us to be focusing there. We're supposed to look out the front. We're supposed to push forward and pursue the goal. God doesn't want us to fix our eyes on all the good things that we've done in the past, nor does he want us to fix our eyes on all the mistakes and the errors that we've made in the past either. If by doing that, by looking back like that, it means that we'll either slow down or we'll rest on our laurels or we'll give up completely. None of that is what God wants for us. Paul says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. The prize is to know Christ fully as he is. And what is he? Well, Paul says he's a treasure of surpassing value. Following Jesus means treasuring Jesus above all else. See how for Paul, it's, it's the heart and soul of living for Jesus and suffering for Jesus and enduring for Jesus and maybe even dying for Jesus. This is where the motivation comes from. It's because, step one, there's no future in the past. Step two, it's because Jesus is a treasure that transforms your treasure. Step three, the most important thing has already happened to you. And so step four, we make every effort to strain towards the goal of knowing Christ, forgetting what's behind, straining forward to what's ahead, pursuing the prize promised by God's heavenly calling in Christ Jesus. Jesus is a treasure and following him is treasuring him because Jesus is more valuable than everything else that you're afraid of losing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Jesus. Thank you for all that he has done for us and for who he is, that we can know him. Father, we pray for each one of us in this room that you would help us to see Jesus more clearly for who he is, that we would treasure him and value him. And Father, we pray that you would help us in our lives as we give up that and don't get this that we would display to the world, magnify Jesus, that they would see him more clearly in our life and perhaps even in our death. And we pray that in his name. Amen.